You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. One of the things that I hated about missing last week is I've been working through all through the summer of pain in Ecclesiastes, uh, and we finished it up last week. Bill got to preach the last almost optimistic sermon at the end of Ecclesiastes after all of the downers of meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Bill gets to jump in and, and pick you up with a, a little go get them. Uh, and, and so like it, it, we're entering into a new season of what we're going to be talking about. And so today we're going to do what I call a one-off sermon. We're going to take uh, a part of the Bible. We're just going to look at that one part. It's not part of a series. And the reason is because we'll be in the book of Philemon. Philemon is a 25-verse uh, 25 cha- 25 book. Um, just one chapter in the New Testament. So um, if you can find the book of Hebrews, which has like 13 or so chapters, um, you'll be able to find it. This is my Bible. This is the front. This is the back. Philemon's near the end, right before Hebrews, after, you know, First and Second Timothy and um, all those, those books right there. You get to Philemon, um, Titus, and then Philemon. And so it's right there, um, kind of tucked in at the end of Paul's letters. Philemon is the final uh, letter that we have in our Bible that, that is in the Pauline epistles. That, those are letters written by Paul. Right after Philemon comes Hebrews, which is like a letter that we don't know who wrote it. Some people think Paul might have, but Philemon's the last of the ones that we feel certain Paul wrote because he wrote his name and said, hey, this is Paul uh, writing this letter. So um, I hope you can find your way to Philemon. There's some good stuff here. Philemon's not often preached about, and there's a couple reasons for that. The first reason is um, it's a super personal letter. Um, it's, the, it's the only letter in the Bible that, that contains a book by itself that is fully personal. I mean, it's written specifically to one person about one issue and one issue only. Um, it's like if you were writing a letter uh, to, to your spouse and saying, hey, here's the thing that you need to remember to do, right? And so it's just a very personal letter from Paul to this man named Philemon, who Paul had led to the Lord um, years before. And so it's a personal letter, so that makes it kind of hard to preach because it, it's personal. It's, it's directed at one specific situation. And as far as I know, I haven't met everyone in this room today, but none of you are probably named Philemon. Uh, I say that because I've never met a person named Philemon, so I'm guessing you're not the one. But may, if you are, um, uh, even if your name is Philemon, Paul didn't write this to you specifically anyways, but God kept it for you. You know, anything that's in the Bible is, is there for your benefit, for your good. It's God's word to you, to instruct you, right? For, it's useful for teaching and rebuke and training in righteousness. And Philemon is one of those books. The other reason that Philemon is a hard book to teach is it deals with an issue that is really raw inside of America. Uh, and it deals with an, the issue of slavery. Um, and slavery, right, is, 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 is the blight uh, on, on the American experiment, right? If you were to look... At America as a whole, and like there's, there's noble ideals, and then we look at how quickly those noble ideals were not realized as, as we enslave people, right? We, we, we have this uh, real weird view of the world, and, and, and it's still a raw point. That's why we have all these kind of like race issues in our country, right? It goes all the way back to, um, to, to, to slavery, and so inside of our cultural context, when you start talking about slavery, and this book deals with it to some degree, um, man, it, it, it can make people feel uncomfortable. Um, and so as, so as we go into that and as we touch on that, as we go forward, um, I hope that I'll, I'll help us to, to wade the path 
um, that God wants us to see here. But I hope you found your way to the book of Philemon. Uh, I'll be reading it today. Uh, we'll read the whole book, just as, as, as uh, Philemon would have read it as it was given to him. Um, and then we'll talk about it together. So settle in just for a minute with me. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or he owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me or even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, so, so, so Paul sits down to write the letter, and the letter starts like pretty much any Paul letter does. Just Paul, uh, and, and he's either an apostle of Christ or a slave of Christ, or in this case, he's a prisoner of Christ. He gives his title because he's literally, um, right now, Paul is in jail. Uh, it's under house arrest, most likely, in Rome. Uh, he's waiting trial um, for uh, some issues that he had gotten into um, on his fourth and final missionary journey. And so he's waiting trial to see Caesar. He's actually uh, appealed to see Caesar himself, which is a hard audience to get. Uh, the, the emperor of the world, um, even as a Roman citizen. And so when you're appealing to Caesar, they hold you until Caesar deems it worth to come and find you. And so he's sitting in house arrest um, and being supported by people in the community. And as he's there under house arrest, he's writing this letter. And the occasion for the letter is that a runaway slave has come to Paul. And the runaway slave probably didn't seek out Paul, but, but, but the runaway slave ran away from his master, which is Philemon. He ran away from Philemon, and Onesimus is the slave's name. And Onesimus runs away from Philemon, who, who lives out 
um, in a smaller town, and he goes to the big city because it's easy to blend in and hide in the big city, right? If you've ever been in the big city before, and you're like, man, I am a face among the masses. I've been to churches like that before, right? Like in this church, it's pretty easy for me to get to know each and every one of you, right? There's a hundred of you. Uh, if I can't know a hundred people, then I, then I got a problem, right? But in a, in, a, in a massive church, you walk in and you can just kind of hide, right? You can just hide out and be like, man, I'm here, but like no one needs to know about me. I'm just going to be here, you know, stealth, sneaking in, sneaking out, right? It's hard to do that in a small place. And so Onesimus knows, look, if I'm going to run away, then i got to go somewhere where I can hide. So he runs to Rome, the biggest city in the empire, and he, and he hides out in Rome. And as fate would have it, as chance would have it, or as God sovereignly would have made it to happen, God orchestrates a situation where Onesimus finds Paul. And when someone finds Paul, wherever they are, wherever Paul is, Paul shows them Jesus. That's what Paul does. That is Paul's goal in life is to show people Jesus. And so Onesimus finds Paul, and Paul says, great, glad that we met, let me show you Jesus. And Onesimus becomes converted. Onesimus puts his faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, and as Paul disciples him, and as Paul gets to know him, Paul's like, oh, I mean, he, he knew he was a runaway slave, and he begins to get the story, and he's like, I know your master. And that's an awkward place to be. Right, because Paul loves Philemon. You look at how Paul talks about Philemon in, the, in verses you know, 4 through 7, and he's talking about all these wonderful things that Philemon does and how he refreshes the saints and how he's a blessing to him and how Paul prays for him. Right? Like Philemon's this great guy that Paul led to the Lord years before. And, Philemon, and he's like, man, I know, I know the guy who's your master. Slavery in the, in the Roman Empire was uh, massive. Uh, over half of the people who lived in the Roman Empire were enslaved uh, under, under Roman, uh, Roman law. They, they were working for other people. They had no freedom of their own, and they were property of the owner. The owner could do with them as he deemed was his duty. They could, he could sell them. He could trade them. He could abuse them. He could even kill them. Um, all right, there was no real laws protecting the workforce. Because they weren't seen as people, they were seen as property. And I don't know what, what the situation was. Paul doesn't deem it worthy for us to know what the situation was that led to Onesimus leaving Philemon. It could have just been that yearning for freedom, right? That's a real thing. The desire to be free to make decisions of your own accord, to have your own life uh, decisions made. It could have been that he got in trouble and he was going to be facing discipline. Maybe, maybe he had done something wrong and Philemon was going to be, be disciplining him. Or maybe, you know, maybe he just hated his master. We don't know the situation, but we do know he left and he ran away. And Paul finds him and then Paul shows him Jesus. And then this man, Onesimus, his name, if you see a footnote in your Bible, it'll probably tell you this, but his name in, in Greek means useful. He's useful. And you can imagine if you're uh, you know, Philemon and you're talking about Onesimus, who's the runaway slave, who's no longer at his post, no longer doing his thing, he's the exact opposite of useful. Right? He's useless. He's not around. He left. And there's probably some anger and some resentment and some bitterness there. And in fact, there was a, you know, we, we know Christ crucified, raised from the dead, right? That's, that's a big part of our, our story as Christians. Um, but, but there was a ton of crucifixions that took place that were just runaway slaves. 
Masters would find them. Dog the bounty hunter would go out and find them and drag them home. And then when he got home, they do whatever they want to him. And crucifixion, which, which was reserved for heinous crimes, was given casually to these, these people who committed the crime of seeking freedom um, from their master. Right? And Paul doesn't give a value judgment on this system. This is what makes the book hard. Right? Churches like this, Southern Baptist churches, 150 years ago, would use the book of Philemon to justify slavery. They say Paul doesn't condemn slavery here, therefore slavery is an okay institution. In fact, Paul sends Philemon or Onesimus back to become a slave, therefore he endorses slavery. I think that's, that's not the case. I don't think Paul's endorsing slavery. I think Paul is recognizing this is the system of the world that he lives in. Half of the people in the world are enslaved. Right? It, it, it's not the ideal situation. And Paul sending him back isn't trying to say, this is a system I endorse. It's him recognizing that this is the reality of the situation. And Onesimus would never have been free, even while living free, knowing there's people who could find him any day and take him home, and he could face judgment before his master. And so Paul is trying to set Onesimus free from uh, the, the risk of being a runaway slave in the Roman Empire. So he sends him home to be there. And so Philemon uh, gets this letter from Paul, and Paul, you can imagine the situation. Right? Philemon is at his house. Uh, his wife is this lady, Aphia, that, that's mentioned there most likely, and his son is probably the Archippus guy mentioned at the beginning there. They're at their house. They're living there. He's obviously a man of some means. He has a church that meets in his house. He's an important religious leader in that day and time and that little region of the world, so important that Paul knew and kept up with him and cared for him. And so as all of that goes forward, as all of that is happening, Paul, is, Paul, Paul sends this letter, and with the letter comes the letter carrier and Onesimus, the runaway slave. And in that moment, we, we see the problem that's being laid out here. And the problem is broken relationships and how to fix broken relationships. You have someone who's offended... Right, who feels like they've been wronged. In this case, Philemon felt like he had been wronged. His property was taken from him, uh, disregarding the, 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 the property issue with slavery there. But he felt offended. He was legally offended by Onesimus. You have Onesimus, who was a runaway slave, who, who was the offender, who had broken that relationship, who had done the thing uh, that was legally wrong at the time. And so, so he, was, he was the offender. And you have Paul between them as a mediator. Between two sides. And, and I'll tell you something, guys. It's, just, it's hard to be in those situations. We've all been in each of those roles, right? Maybe you've been the mediator. Right? The person between two sides. Uh, at my last church, right after I left, they had a, a church conflict. And that church structure, um, they had a, a board of elders who were ultimately responsible for the church. Uh, it's slightly different than a Baptist church. It was a Bible church. And so and they had a board of elders who were responsible for that church. Um, and, and those board of elders served as mediators between a staff conflict. There was a conflict between the, 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 the senior pastor and some other, some other of the um, uh, under-pastors, under-shepherds in that church. And they served in that mediator role. And that is a hard role to be in because you love this person and you love that person. And they're at odds with each other. And you're in the middle trying to figure out where is peace to be made between these people that I love. I get put in that position periodically where I'm like, hey, I, I love that person, I love that person, and they're at war, and they want you to side up, right? This happens in relationships, when relationships go sideways, maybe in, maybe in a divorce situation, 
right? And, and, and something broke and something went wrong, and then you've got to pick a side. Right? You've got to choose. Do you go with him or with her? Do you choose this friend or that friend? You have to choose what you do. A church has experienced this, by the way, in a weird way. When there's divorce inside of the church, man, it is, it, it, it's, it's very difficult for people to come back to the church, either one. And so, like, like you lose both in a divorce situation. It's a painful, a painful situation to experience. But if you've ever been in that middle spot, you may wonder yourself, what do I do in that spot? And most of the time what we do is we listen to story A and we listen to story B, and then we kind of say, like, all right, I gravitate closer to A. Like, A is more right, so I'm going to gravitate closer there, and I'm going to help B try to, try to get over here with A, and we're going to work that way. But really what we're called to do is kind of what Paul does in this situation, which is when you're in the middle between two sides, you do the next right thing. You don't solve the problem. You don't have to fix the problem. You do the next right thing. And so in this case, Paul looked at the situation between someone he loved in Onesimus and someone he loved in Philemon, the slave and the slaveholder, the runaway and the man who's been, 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 been run out on. And he stands in the middle and he hears both sides. And you can imagine him sympathizing with both sides. You can imagine him sympathizing. Oh, well, I'm sorry that that happened. Oh, man, that's so tough. And, and, and he's going back and forth. And at the end of it, he says, this is the right and so he seeks reconciliation in this relationship, and the way he seeks it is he sends Onesimus home, but he doesn't just send him home. He sends him home with a letter saying, you're going to treat him like you treat me. Verse 17 is the key verse in this passage, by the way. I'll read it again. He says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Paul's the man who led uh, Philemon to faith. Paul's the man uh, who, who was held up on a pedestal in many of those early churches. He was an important figure. And if Paul had walked into Philemon's house, he would be treated with the utmost respect. And he sends him home, yes, right? That, 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 that's, that's a middle path. He sends him home, but he doesn't send him home to the same thing. And he doesn't send him home to judgment and death. He sends him home to restored life. Right, to, to have a new relationship. Right? No, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Right? Paul looks at the middle ground and he says, if I go all the way with Onesimus, I, I'm encouraging uh, this behavior that's, that's illegal and ultimately puts Onesimus at life at risk every single day. And if I go all the way with Philemon, then I'm encouraging Philemon to do whatever he wants with Onesimus as if Onesimus was just property, which he's not. And so he goes to the middle ground and he says, look, I'm sending him back. You're going to treat him like you treat me. When you're in that middle spot between people that you love, when you're torn in a situation between things, you don't have to side up. You can side forward. You can look for the right thing. And that's all you can do. The very right thing before you doesn't mean that you're going to solve the issue. It doesn't mean that peace is going to go there. You know, we don't have Philemon 2. We don't have second Philemon in our Bible. We don't know how this worked out. Right? We really don't. Right? Philemon could have got him home and, and crucified him. I, I, I pray that that's not the case. That would be a really tragic ending to, to a pretty beautiful letter. But we don't know how the story worked out. But we know that Paul's job was to do the right thing before him. And the right thing before him 
was to seek out the good of both parties and ultimately what God's good is for a situation. It's hard to do. It's hard not to get caught up in sides, right? Whether it's inside of a family or whether it's inside of a church or whether it's inside of uh, you know, politics, which, which we, we love to side up in politics even, right? There's, it's, it's so easy to get just sucked into siding. Right, and there may be some time you're like, man, I'm 99.99% sided here. You know, I've heard some marriage situations where I've counseled couples, and I'm like, man, the next right thing is that you stop being an idiot, and you take them back. Right? That's the next right thing. Right? Like, it's 100% your fault. you got to take them back. Right? Like, if they're able to fix that. Like, it's, a hard, it's a hard situation to do. Sometimes it just seems so clear. But a lot of times it's... 60-40, it's 75-25, it's 55-45. Like, I don't know, really, I kind of gravitate here, but not. If you're in the middle, do the next right thing. Paul's right thing was to mediate that situation and to help them seek reconciliation. Reconciliation is a key word in, our, in the Bible, right? That we would be reconciled to one another and that we'd be reconciled to Christ. We're not supposed to have anything between us at all. Continuing on, you might be on the offender side. You might be the side that when everyone looks at the side... And they kind of pull back, and they're like, who done wronged here? And they're like, you done wronged. And, that, and I've been that person. I'm like, oh, I'm the problem. I remember the story of, of King David after he had, uh, had, had an affair with Bathsheba and killed her husband. That's not a great Bible story. Um, right, right, right. Sleeps with a guy who's working for him, his wife, and then goes and, and gets that guy killed so that he can have his wife and his baby. Right, and I remember that story, and I, and I love the way Nathan confronts David. Nathan goes to David and he tells him a story, right? And at the end of the story, it's like, you know, there was a man, he had a lot of sheep, and there was another guy who had one sheep that he loved like a baby. And the man who had a lot of sheep had a friend come over, and so what did he do? He stole the sheep from the man who had one, killed it, and fed that to his friend. Taking the one sheep that mattered to his friend, or to, to this random poor guy, so that, he, so that he wouldn't have to take anything from himself. And, he, and Nathan asked him, he says, what should happen to that person? And David says, that person should, should, should die, bring him to me, that person's going to be punished. And then Nathan steps back after David speaks, and he's like, yeah, that's you. Like, I've been there, I've been in those situations where, like, I feel righteous indignation, and then all of a sudden, God's like, hey, Matt, that's you. And I'm like, that's me. I'm the problem. Because I'm not perfect, guys. I'm, I think I've told you that before, I'm far from perfect. I'm a work in progress. God is working on me daily to sanctify me, to make me more like him. And so when you're the offender, when you're the one, as, as everyone looks at you, you're like, man, you're the problem. You're the reason for broken relationship. Maybe the other person had some causes. Maybe the other person's got some issues. But you're the one who kicked it up a notch. In that situation, when you're the offender, what your job is to do is exactly what Onesimus did, which is to seek out reconciliation. When Paul told him his plan, he said, I'm going to send a letter uh, will you take it with you? And Onesimus is like, sure, I'll go take whatever you want, Paul. He's like, okay, I want the letter to go to a guy named Philemon. And Onesimus is like, hold on a second, Paul. I know that guy. And I don't think he wants to see me right now. And so Paul lays out what the letter has. He says, this is what we're going to do. And Onesimus goes, seeking reconciliation with the one that he had offended, recognizing his part in the problem and seeking reconciliation you know, I say marriage is not 50-50, it's 100-0. I have to give 100% all the time, right? Because there's going to be a time when, when, when I'm only going to be able to give 50%, and I sure want my wife to be doing more than 50% to meet me in the middle, right? So it's 100-0. I've got to be willing to give 100% all the time 
in my marriage. Because if I was going 50-50, there's going to be a time when both of our 50% are off. And we're going to be at odds with each other. Like if you're the offender, you've got to do the, do, do, do the work of reconciliation. Which means you go to the person and you seek to be reconciled. Right? If, if, you, if you've wronged them, Paul says, look, if he owes you money, I'm going to pay it. Onesimus didn't have any money. He said, I'm going to pay it. If there's anything there, I'll take care of it. I'm going I'm to guarantee it. Like if you owe someone something, if, you're, if, you, if you have a responsibility to go back to them, you need to go hat in hand, humbly seeking them. And, you know, the church specifically uh, is supposed to be a place where that is easy to do. It's not. Fun fact. Spoiler alert. But it's supposed to be. You know, the ideal for the church, as we see all throughout Scripture, the ideal for the church is this radiant bride of Christ, right, that's winsome and draws people, right, to join up to await the return of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. The church is a beautiful thing. And most of us have experienced that in some degree or another, maybe in this church, maybe in another church, where, where all of a sudden something happened and you saw the beauty of the church on display for your life. You made lifelong friends, forever relationships. It's a family environment. You know, the church is supposed to be a family. We use that term sometimes, brother, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. I'm going to use sister as often. What's that all about? I think Whoopi Goldberg killed that in Sister Act, maybe. I don't know. Maybe in, maybe in Ghost, John. I don't know. <laughs> right? I, I, I don't know. I don't know why we don't call sister so-and-so that often. But, but we use brother, right? And the idea is that, that we're, we, we share a father. The church should be a place where reconciliation is consistently practiced and where when we've wronged someone, we seek out to make it right because we're seeking out the beauty of God's kingdom. Right? In other areas, that, that it's harder to do. Right? In a secular environment at your company, if you've wronged the company, it's hard to come hat in hand to the company because you may get fired in that situation. You're going to be out of a job. You're not going to be able to move forward. But in the church, you don't get fired from family. Forgiveness, because we're forgiven people, should flow out of it, which leads to the next thing, which is maybe you're the offended. Maybe you're the one who's been wronged, and all of us have been there before. Someone has wronged us. They've said something about us. They've, uh, they've hurt us. They've, they've, they've harmed someone that we love or something that we love. They've sought our destruction, and we're hurt. We're upset. We're the offended in the situation. And you know what stinks about those people? They almost never come to you hat in hand and do the first part that I just talked about of reconciliation. Even in the church, but especially outside of the church, they, they almost never come to you and be like, hey, so you know, two years ago, I da 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 and I just want to let you know, like, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do to make it right? Rarely do we have those experiences where reconciliation is sought. So what do you do as the offended person in that situation? Here's what you do. You forgive before you ever see them. Forgiveness is a, is a Christian characteristic. We are forgiven people. We should forgive people. Right? If you've been forgiven much, you should also be willing to forgive much. And if you don't think you've been forgiven much, I ask that you would pull your eyes off of the world around you and look at the damage that you've created in your relationship with your loving, perfect Heavenly Father. You are much forgiven. If you're a child of God in here today, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ and you believed in the, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you've been forgiven, redeemed, reconciled to God, you need to recognize that your tab 
is not short. The stuff that you've done, the pain that you've caused, the turmoil that's happened in the world because of you, the sin that you've chosen, isn't short. It's long. And, and sadly, like it's getting longer. Tomorrow, it'll be longer, almost certainly. If you're me, for sure, it'll be longer. And I've been forgiven. Me, I'll speak for me, guys. I've been forgiven so much. Like, I know myself. Y'all know me. I try to be pretty transparent with y'all. Y'all know kind of who I am. But I know who I am. I know, I, I, know, I know the things that set me off. I know the things that, that, that stroke my pride, that, that, I, that, that, that just kind of puffs me up inside. And Christ has forgiven me of all of that. So I have no business holding an offense against someone else. I have no reason to hold you over the barrel because you've, you've wronged me. Of course you've wronged me. Of course you have. You're a person. We live, we live in a family relationship. Of course you've wronged me. Of course we've had issues. Of course there's issues in our lives. I have no, I have no, I have no right to hold that, though, because I've been forgiven. And, and so I forgive, and I do. I mean, I forgive easy. Like, I don't, I don't hold grudges. I don't have a long list of people like, uh, I remember the, the show Billy Madison. That's a great movie, by the way. Y'all go watch that when you get home. Maybe not. You know, Billy Madison, uh, Billy's got an old, old friend of his, Steve Buscemi, I guess, is who plays him. And he's got, like, a kill list of people that he wants to kill from people who've wronged him in his life. Billy was on the list, and then Billy apologized and got crossed off. And it was, it's not the best scene, okay? Um, but some of us have that list. I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. One day, one day, because of what they've done, because of how they behave, because of what they've done to me or, or to someone I love, I will never trust them. One day I'm going to get them. Or, or maybe God will get them first. And in that case, I'll cheer as well. Man, and if you're the offended person, it's easy to keep a list. I'm just telling you to stop and to forgive. You say, I don't know how to forgive. This person's done this thing to me, whatever it is. Whatever this big offense is, they, they've done this to me. How do I forgive? Here's, here, here's how I forgive. So it may not work for you. I don't know. Here's how I, first of all, I consistently recognize how wicked I am. Like in the fact that like if, if someone hurts my feelings because they say something, I can't even begin to imagine the number of people whose feelings I've hurt because I've said something. I can't. Like, I, I can name specific situations where people have come and told me, and I was like, oh, that hurts your feelings? I had no idea. That's the problem. I have no idea sometimes that I hurt people. Right? So if someone hurts me by saying something, like, that's me. Like, I, I do that. And by the way, if I've hurt you, I just want you, this is my reconciliation moment for you. Like, if I've said something uh, carelessly, crassly, um, just, just terrible, just know, like, I'm sorry. I truly am. I can't even remember everything I've said that might have hurt somebody in this world because I, I, I talk too much. I gotta shut up. So if, you, if you've ever, if you're carrying anything towards me, just know like, and, and come talk to me and I would love to apologize specifically for it. Because I don't even know sometimes when I hurt people. So if someone hurts me with what they say, I, I'm like, man, that's me. How am I going to hold that against someone else when I've been doing this like random spray shotgun carnage to people? For 39 years. I don't even know the amount of people 
that have been hit by stupid barbs from me because I was trying to be clever or funny. I can't even imagine it. It's, it's insane. Right now, guys, it hurts my heart to think about. And some of you aren't like that. Some of you aren't sharp-tongued. Right? You have other things that you, you deal with. But, but I, I look around, I'm like, that's me. If, if, if I'm that offender, why would I hold that offense against someone else? I let it go. I let it go quick. And then, to, to test my forgiveness, here's how I do it. I pray for the person that offended me. So Zach Rowland, I don't think Zach's ever offended me yet, but give it time, Zach, you'll do it. So, 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 so you know, if, if Zach offends me for some reason, if there's something that happens in our relationship that causes uh, a pain or a, a, a division in our relationship, here's what, here's what I, I begin to do. I begin to pray specifically for that person. And I don't pray against that person. God, judge them. God, send fire or you know, let their house burn down, none of that stuff, right? No, my, my prayer is that God would bless them, that God would give them good things. If they don't know the Lord, my prayer is that they would find, that God would find them, restore them into a relationship with him, and then, and then show them how good and loving he is. And you know, when that, someone has made you, offended you, that's a very hard prayer to pray. And in fact, as you pray it, the other part of your mind that's not actively doing the thinking is like, nope, I don't want that right? Well, that's okay. That's okay. Right? That's the forgiveness process. But as you pray that daily, at some point, that other part of your mind is no longer active. And you are genuinely wishing well on the one who, who's hurt you. And in, in that moment, when you can look at the person and say, hey, like, I do wish them well. Like, I, want what, I want God's best for them. And, and genuinely mean it. Not like, I want God's best for them, but I really still want them to get theirs. At that point, forgiveness is done. You have successfully forgiven someone. Congratulations, by the way, guys. Good work. When you can pray for the good of them, that God will bless them, and not at, at the same time be like, God, I kind of hope you wish, don't listen to that part of me, listen to this part over here. If you can do that, like you've forgiven them, and it will happen. Pray daily for them, specifically, for that person who's offended you. If you're carrying a list, start at the top of your list. Whoever it is that, that, that most wronged you, maybe it was your dad. A lot of us have got bad dad wounds, right? Dad did something, and we've held on to it now for, geez, however long. And just start there. Maybe they've already passed, but you can't think about them without bitterness. Like pray for them. It's hard to pray for God's blessing on their life there, but pray, pray, pray for yourself in that situation. But pray for them. Seek out their good. And at the end of it, at some point, you'll, you'll truly mean it. You'll truly want good things to happen to the person who you used to want bad things to happen to. That's how you know forgiveness has taken root in your heart. So look, if you're in the middle between two people, what do you do? You do the next right thing. If you're the offender or the one who's done the wrong, what do you do? You seek reconciliation. And if you're the one who's been offended against, you don't go to the one who offended you. You can, I guess. Um, that's, that's an okay step depending on how far away the offense is. If it's current, I would say go to them. But if it's 12 years ago, like, maybe just let it go, right? Forgive them. Forgive them. Be reconciled to one another because we are called to be reconcilers. Right? We're called to be reconciled not just to one another but to, but to God. And the way we were reconciled is through Christ Jesus, who, by the way, served as the mediator between God and man. And your offenses were so great that they separated you from a loving, perfect God, and we couldn't make it right. 
And so Christ came in to make a path so that he could mediate between God and man. And if we would trust in Jesus, if we would believe in Jesus, the Bible says if you would you know, confess in your mouth to Jesus, Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. In that moment, we'll be reconciled. We will cross over. I always think of the Steps to Peace with God track. That's the way my mind thinks when I think about this, how there's a great chasm and the cross of Jesus Christ is the bridge that, that, that connects sinful man to holy God. What a wonderful picture that is. Right? And we get to cross over the bridge. As the only bridge that gets us there is Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man. Some of us are going to serve in the mediator role. right? Some of us are going to serve between uh, chaotic situations, between two sides of people that we love. Some of us are going to be the wrong. Some of us are going to be the ones who've done wrong. Take your side and begin to do your work. I tell my kids this, right? You can't do other people's job. Like, like as far as like forgiveness, like they, they blah, 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 blah. I'm like, whatever. And, and they're like, and I only barely did that. And now they're mad at me. I'm like, well, then don't barely do that. Like, take care of your part. Like, your part may be this big in the problem, but you have to take care of your part. Don't take care of everyone else's. Be reconciled to one another. Uh, guys, I want to tell you something about the church. The church is supposed to be a place where reconciliation happens. Regularly, daily, consistently. Because we, we harm each other sometimes. The deepest wounds we have are in our families usually. The church, family, for better or worse. Sometimes we get some harm here. If there's harm here, if there's, if there's brokenness here, do your part of reconciliation. If it's mediating, mediate. Right? Do the next right thing. If it's, if it's you need to go and, and seek reconciliation because you've offended Go hat in hand and do that. Not expecting them to do anything, but your part to be done. And if you're on the other side and you've been offended, forgive. Pray for them. Today, tomorrow, the next day. Until the prayers that you say for their good are true in your heart. I have one more example about that just real quick and then we'll be done. Um, I don't know, four years ago or so, um, had, we, this church has been a pretty, pretty healthy place. But, man, we had a rough, like, two weeks. <laughs> I went on vacation, and then I lost a youth pastor and a music guy in a day. That was rough for me as, as, as pastor. And it was personal because they were friends. They were people that I, I, I loved. And, you know, I did, I did these steps, right? Like, I, I, I tried to mediate, and then I tried to reconcile, and ultimately I just forgave. Right? How long did that take me? I don't know. <clears throat> like a month. It was still chaos here a month in, by the way. If you remember a month after that, it was still kind of chaotic. Right? But I was, I, I was done. I was seeking the best for those people. That God would bless them on their path. That God would use them for whatever, whatever God wanted to do. It's not easy to do. Hurt your heart. Right? Sometimes you're just wounded. But boy, I'll tell you what, releasing people... To be blessed by God is a lot better than holding on, praying for God's judgment on them. Guys, let's be reconcilers today. Reconcile the lost world to a holy God through Jesus Christ and reconciling one another through obedience, faith, and love. Let me pray.